Today, what we're going to do is we are going to sweep the house clean. Uh, the lady who lost the coin in the house, that's, uh, she decided she was going to give the house a good cleaning. We've been cleaning the house when it comes to discovering the lost coin of circumcision and its importance in the New Testament church, why it was such a subject of contention. We've focused on this phrase, the circumcision of Christ, and we've seen that circumcision is mentioned nearly 100 times in the Bible. When I read that, I'm still amazed by that. We've come to the conclusion that this is kind of a peripheral thing. It was back then. It doesn't have any relevance to now. And hopefully in the last few weeks, you've seen that this whole subject is relevant to us as Christians that no one is contending that Christians should be circumcised today, 2,000 years later, but that we are in this woeful position in the popular church in America where people just are not content with Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We feel somehow that we have to contribute. We um, We have to offer an addendum. Uh, to Christ, the circumcision of Christ, his death on the cross, that we have to, as we saw last week, I thought that was a helpful way of looking at it, that we have to add our blood to his blood, uh, that there has to be something more. And this is one of the difficulties in um, charismatic movement and in Pentecostalism in general, is that we, uh, I heard um a noted scholars say that, yeah, yeah, we believe all that about the cross and what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Here we are 2,000 years later after the crucifixion of Christ, and we're still trying to plumb the depths of it. There's something about uh, the cross uh, and the message of the cross that has an ongoing place, my opinion is that it is a central focus of a believer's life. If you're going to follow Jesus, uh, Jesus says, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and then follow. So there is, and, and we'll get into this Lord willing next week, how this plays out in the rest of the Bible so that we cannot just look at what happened at Calvary as kind of a chronological uh, occurrence that took place at a certain point in human time and history. There's something life-changing about the message of the cross. We will never understand it fully. For example, uh, just to give you an idea, we think that the book of Acts is all about people receiving the Holy Spirit, people speaking in tongues. And yet, the experience of the Holy Spirit is never separated and always preceded by someone telling them about Jesus, what Jesus did, who he was. Uh, Even in Acts chapter 10, as Peter, as we've seen, is recounting this story, the Holy Spirit falls. Uh, We see in the book of Acts that we get in trouble when this Holy Spirit, quote-unquote, experience is separated from the story of Jesus And we do have two instances, Simon Magus, remember, the sorcerer, he wanted that spectacular ability to lay hands on people and then they received the Holy Spirit evidently signified by some kind of utterance, glossolalia. 
the seven sons of Sceva. We adjure you by the Jesus that Paul preaches so that the Holy Spirit's activity is never, let me put it this way, is never detached or disconnected from the person, the story of Jesus, his life and work. When you do that, and this is one of the problems that we have now in the popular church in America, we have turned the Holy Spirit, you know, these warm, tingly feelings that we get, we have turned that into an idol by separating it from the person of Jesus. People come to church, they say, oh, I just love it when I feel the, the Holy Spirit. Well, you are on a pathway that is detaching the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will not speak of himself. So the, this gives rise to the idea, the Holy Spirit, the shy third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit is to replicate the presence of Jesus. Not to create a cult following. Hello. So you see how a person's good intentions, and this is always the way it is with error and heresy, is that the people may have the best of intentions, but little by little they they are seduced off the path. And seduction is that way. It makes you think, how can... How can anything that feels so right be so wrong? And yet that is the nature of seduction. So, so that's what been one of the emphases in, in this whole thing about, you know, this almost over-focus on the subject of circumcision. That was the issue then. That was uh, what people were arguing about and having face-to-face squabbles about. Today, it's the same process. It is always fallen human nature saying, what Jesus has done is not enough. I have to contribute something. I, I have to cooperate uh, somehow with uh, God's finished work. So we've looked at these passages, Romans 4, 9 through 12, Galatians 2, 1 through 12, and Galatians 5, 1 through 10. We've tried to place this subject within the context of uh, the New Testament church as it was being formed. And so this, uh, as he says, it just sounds weird to be talking about or absurd to talk about some circumcision in 2021, but I hope that you have seen the relevance of it for your life as a believer. Now listen to Barclay. He says, all through the history of Israel, There had been two views of circumcision. We're just wrapping things up today. There was the view of those who said that in itself, it was enough to put a man right with God. So there's a Latin phrase, ex, E-X, opere, O-P-E-R-E, operato, O-P-E-R-A-T-O, ex, opere, operato. And a rough English translation of of that is that by the doing of the act, something is automatically accomplished. So there were those in Israel that believed, here we we take the eight-day-old child who is being brought by his parents as Jesus was to be circumcised. An eight-day-old child is helpless. We don't circumcise ourselves. Uh, He's being acted upon. And so there was uh, 
there was this idea then by virtue of the very act of circumcision, the child is brought into, he bears in his body the mark of the covenant, the, the child is welcomed into the community of faith. He's acted upon. He doesn't have to, and it's interesting, an infant baptism, which as we see is kind of a, a New Testament connection there. I like how he puts this. There, there's some kind of uh, dotted lines from circumcision in the Old Testament and in, infant baptism in the New Testament, which people say, well, you can't find an example of infant baptism in the New Testament. But in the history of the church, it wasn't too many, just one generation went by and then the New Testament church began to baptize their children. Why was that? We don't see it in the pages of the New Testament. Hello, we don't see a lot of stuff that's going on in the popular church in America that you can't find in the pages of the New Testament. It was because parents, families, people wanted some sign that their children were covered brought into the covenant, protected uh, un until they grew up and then they could either affirm that faith or deny it. So in infant baptism, then godparents will answer for the child. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? Well, obviously the eight-day-old child doesn't, can't answer, doesn't know anything about that, so godparents answer for the child. You say, well, this, this is... Uh, this is a practice that was developed very early on in the church, but you have to ask the question, why is it that the Christian church said, okay, we'll do this, even though there is no instance of it in the Bible? One of the reasons why the, the church said we'll do this is because of this passage, this very passage that we're looking at in Colossians chapter 2. So the belief is, no, the child, so we, we have opposed to that, believer's baptism, which says, your baptism is only efficacious if your heart is filled with faith and you make a confession of faith. All right, that's, that's where the Baptist denomination came from. That's why they're called Baptists. <laughs> because they believe only in adult baptism. Well, infant baptism plays out this idea of ex opere operato, that God is at work in some way, a sacrament, the sacrament of baptism, a sacramentum, a mystery. God is at work mysteriously in the waters of baptism, even though the child doesn't have any memory of it, even though the child does, has not conceded, not said, yes, I want to be baptized. The church believes that somehow, in some way that we do not fully understand, ex opere operata, by virtue of the act, God has somehow moved, something has been accomplished. Now, the danger of that, and this is what Barclay is pointing out, is that uh, in the Old Testament then, with the act of circumcision, some people just said, well, I'm circumcised, so I'm a Jew. And Paul contends with that, and the Old Testament prophets contended with this, that it wasn't just enough to submit yourself to this symbol of the covenant, but that circumcision had to be of the heart. So uh, look again at what Barclay is saying. There was the view of those 
who said that in itself it was enough to put a man right with God. It did not matter whether an Israelite was a good man or a bad man. All that mattered was that he was an Israelite and that he had been circumcised. You'll find people like this in, in every denomination, but probably the stereotypical example is um, Catholics. Well, you know, I was baptized as a Catholic. I was raised as a Catholic. I went to parochial school, you know, and the nuns walking around with the rulers slapping my hand, and I'm a Catholic. We run into people like this, and if you work with people like this, or if you're around people like this, you do not sense, and we're not judging here inappropriately, you do not sense that their life (laughs) is any different (laughs) from anybody else in the world right? They are, sometimes they're referred to as professing Christians, or sometimes they're referred to as lapsed Catholics. Yeah, I go to church, and, uh, you know, uh, people complain about the length of the homily in a Catholic church. Well, most homilies, the sermon, the mini-sermon in a Catholic church is maybe like 10 minutes long. You people, y'all that are here this morning would rejoice if you could get away with a 10-minute sermon. In fact, you would think that something was wrong. Pastor Alan Matty only talked to us for 10 minutes this morning. Is he upset? Lord knows, if I only had 10 minutes every Sunday, it would take us years to get through any book of the Bible. Because seven minutes of it would be a review from the week before. And we would only make three minutes every Sunday progress into the subject. And I'm not picking just on Catholics. I'm saying in every denomination, there are people apparently who profess something, but they have not been truly converted. They've not had a true conversion experience. And we see this in the Old Testament. And Paul points this out in Romans chapter 9, and we'll talk about the placement of the books in the New Testament next Sunday morning and and how important it is. But Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 9. Not all, it's a cryptic statement. You might be tempted to read over it quickly. He says, not all Israel is Israel. Israel was the name that was given Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob said, They said it to Jesus in John chapter 8. We are Abraham's seed. We've never sinned. (laughs) Well, you know, I, I don't... When was the last time you went to church? Because that's not what synagogue is all about. Paul says not all Israel is Israel. In other words, everyone who is a physical descendant of Abraham does not have the faith of Abraham automatically living in their heart. So you can get circumcised, you can get baptized, you can do all manner of things in the popular church in America that other people interpret, oh, that's a committed Christian. But if the faith of God, unless you've been truly converted, unless you've had that come to Jesus meeting. September, when I went out to Connecticut for my uh, 50th high school reunion, they asked me to you know, say grace, like have a prayer before we actually ate. Um, I was kind of thinking before I went out there that they might do that because it, it, it was a shock to many of them that I had become a minister. And so like, this is 
something to celebrate and rejoice. Let's see if it's actually true. So, uh, Alan, why don't you say, you know, bless us. Say the blessing. When I said in the name of the Father, I talk a little bit. When I said in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, it was like you could feel the air in the room moving because all of the Catholics uh, were, were making the sign of the cross. I knew, I knew that they would. This, for Catholic people, that means church has started. You know, let's stop fooling around. Church has begun, or Father is going to say something. He, he's going to speak as the vicar of Christ, as the representative of Christ. So I just said, uh, you know, the standard little prayer, bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts, which from thy bounty we are about to receive through Jesus Christ our Lord, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And it was dead silent in the room. It was like, He really is a, a minister. He really is a priest. And one of the one of the girls, girls, she's a woman now who I don't remember from the class at all. She came up to me and the first words out of her mouth were, Do you remember me? And you don't want to ask that question at a high school reunion. Because nobody remembers anybody really. I mean, you you're trying, right? And so I'm looking at her name tag and I'm bending down like that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. Because I did have a fleeting uh, something that said, kind of placed her in the past. She said, my son's a Lutheran minister. Are you Lutheran? I said, well, I'm kind of a closet Lutheran. And, and she laughed. And she said, well, well, what happened to you? I said, well, I had a true conversion experience. That, that's what happened. I didn't go looking for it. I didn't manufacture it. I'm not doing this because someone put the onus on me. It wasn't because my father twisted my arm and said, you know, I'm a pastor. You should be a pastor too. I, I didn't do it for daddy. All of those things will follow. If that's your reasoning, all of those things will, will be destroyed. I'm a Christian because I had, like Paul, like Saul of Tarsus, I had an, an encounter with the risen Christ. So you can participate in the peripheral, even the essential uh, acts of worship in the church. You can play the part, you can sing the songs, you can present yourself, you can do everything that's right, you can write the check. You can show up, you, blah, 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 blah. But unless you have had a true conversion experience, unless your heart has been circumcised. Now, the Old Testament uh, prophets knew that, and Barclay goes on to point this out. He says, but the great spiritual leaders of Israel and the great prophets took a very different view. In other words, it, it wasn't enough to be outwardly compliant. There was something that took place in the commission of the acts, ex opere operato, but what was taking place in that and what affirmed had truly taken place was that there was a new life principle planted in a person's heart. It's like, what farmer, if you ever had a vegetable garden, I remember years ago, we, we planted celery seed. 
And if you've ever done that, celery seed is like some of the tiniest seed. And like you drop one or two in the hole in the ground, you say, that ain't going to do nothing. So then you dump half the, the seed pack out because you just say, you know what? Yeah, now it'll grow. But what person who plants uh, even wrongly like that goes out to the, the garden every day and says, I sure hope it doesn't grow. The reason why the seed is in the ground is because the planter, the farmer, has a reasonable expectation that fruit is going to be the result. And if there's no fruit, then you would have to say that the seed never took any root. Jesus explains this for it. He said there's lots of reasons for it. The sun comes up, the, bir- the fowl, the birds of the air come and, and eat the seed. The evil one comes and sows weeds. If we can't do it, if we can't prevent the soil from returning being fruitful 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So what does the enemy do? The enemy comes and sows weeds among it to try and to mess up, just introduce some disruption and chaos into the planting. Now, we are not saved by the fruit that we produce, but when we are saved, we are saved unto good works, Paul says in, in Ephesians. And this is one of the ways somebody says, well, how do I know that I'm truly saved? Well, is there any any fruit hanging on it? Now, now I want to say this. The caveat is is that that trees can go through periods in their life where they they don't bear any fruit, and there are times, seasons in a in a, the dark night of the soul, as Saint John of the Cross said. There are seasons in a Christian's life where you just say, "Gee, I don't even feel like I'm saved," and that's when we ask the question, "How long, Lord?" And the answer to Isaiah was, even though the tree is cut down to a stump, there, there is still vitality in the stump. Uh, there's a tree over here, an ash tree, I think, that it's just about dead. Um, and the, when the arborist across the street, I asked him to come over and cut this tree down. He looked at that tree. And that tree was putting out little shoots uh, through the bark in the trunk. And he said, this is what a tree does just before it dies. It's one glass gasp attempt at vitality. There are seasons in a Christian's life where you cannot judge your relationship by the fruit you're producing. But if, if you're rooted... Here we go back to the beginning of Colossians chapter 2. If you're rooted and grounded in the faith, your roots will continue to draw the life-giving power. And how many times have we seen when a tree is cut down and it's there as a stump, you'll see a shoot begin to grow out of that stump. That's what Isaiah said, at the scent of water, or is that in the book of Job? No, I think it's in Isaiah, at the scent of water, that stump will send out new shoots. So we have to be careful here. We have to be, we have to be discerning here. We can't be simple-minded when it comes to this. 
So I, I have been saved unto good works. So it's always distressing in a believer's life when you feel like you're not being fruitful, when you can't pray, when you read the scriptures and it just it, it doesn't make any sense, when you walk through. And the thing to do in, in that situation is to examine your heart, your life, repent, pray, ask, ask the Holy Spirit to come. When it happens to me, I force myself to listen to Christian radio. It's, it's like force-feeding a person. There's, there's nothing that I hate. Well, I, don't, I won't say it. Nothing that I hate more. I'm not a fan of, of the rah-rah uh, Christian music. You know, the popular Christian music. Uh, but when I get in one of these funky moods where I'm sensing I'm not being fruitful, that I'm not growing, that I'm not growing, I, I sometimes will turn NPR off and turn 99.1 on and, and try to get a transfusion of some joy in my life. But that should be the exception, you see, for a believer. That should be the exception and not the rule. If it's the rule in your life, then it could be, it could be that you've not truly been converted. And Barclay points out, the great spiritual leaders of Israel and the great prophets took a very different view. They insisted that circumcision was only the outward mark of a man who was inwardly dedicated to God. Now look in Exodus chapter 6. So here we are back in the opening pages, the second book of uh, the New Testament. We know that circumcision was established as a sign of the covenant way back in uh, the book of Genesis. And here in Exodus chapter 6, look at this with me because this is interesting. Uh, Look at verse 10. So this this is the standoff between Moses and Pharaoh. So the Lord said to Moses, Exodus 6, 10, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then... Shall Pharaoh listen to me, for I am of uncircumcised lips? Isn't that a strange way of putting it? What is Moses saying? He's saying that the sign of circumcision uh, spoke to a larger work being done in the person's life. It wasn't just a the cutting of and the sloughing off of the male's foreskin. It, it represented something that larger going on, deeper going on in the person's life. How can the sloughing off of a, a man's foreskin affect his lips? <laughs> it's, it's not ex opere operato. Something happens, yes, in the act of circumcision. Something happens, yes, in the act of baptism. It's something that has to be contemplated. You cannot be a Christian without exercising periods of reflection in your life. You you have to think about it. You have to consider. Jesus said, uh, consider the lilies. That means more than a glancing look. It means t- 
Examine it. Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. And if, if you're, uh, and, and the world is full of them, one of uh, flighty people incapable of paying attention to anything, but they go to church because they like the music or they like the pastor or they like the fog machines or they like the lights or they like the 10-minute homily, they like the service that's 55 minutes long, pretty, you know, drive through church. Come on, give me a break. Drive through church. First, first it was drive through funerals. How do you have a drive through funeral? Like, um, yeah, they're dead, so let's have a service. But, you know, I don't really have, I didn't know them that well. I didn't like them that much. They didn't leave me any money, so we'll just do a drive through service. Somebody leans out the window, opens up, you feel like you're at McDonald's and makes the sign of the cross and say, let us bow our heads and remember Mary Kay. Come on. Really? And that qualifies a person to say, yeah, we had a funeral service. Or that qualifies a person to drive through church and say, yeah, I'm a Christian. It's very popular right now to say, to watch the naked emperor dance down the middle of the street and say, oh, I love his clothes. But I'm one who stands up and says, he's naked. Ain't got no clothes on. Here it is in the second book in the Old Testament. Already the concept of circumcision, which has been established in the book of Genesis, is being expanded upon. The circumcision of of your male member is supposed to somehow affect how you speak with your lips. Oh, oh, oh. That is really weird. Look at the next, uh, next Genesis, Exodus, third book in the Bible, Old Testament, Leviticus, chapter 26. Verse 40, look, but if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers, this is under... Punishment for disobedience, which begins in verse 14. Verse 40, but if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers and their treachery that they committed against me and also in walking contrary to me so that I walk contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their... So not only uh, the male member, but the lips, and now the heart. So that you could comply with the sign of the covenant. This is what Jesus said, didn't he? He said, their lips, their lips, I'm hearing the right thing, but their heart is far from me. So this is the content. This has always been the contention, not in the old people of God, but now in the new people of God. Is look, you know what? I go to church, I give my share, I do the right thing. I and and then you'll hear the T word enter in the car. I try to do the right thing. Well, you know what? I I honestly, when I hear the try word, I honestly wonder. I say to myself, this person does not understand uh, the, 
the pure gospel. Because the pure gospel eliminates your trying never qualifies to the degree that God demands. I'm trying to do the right thing. Well, kudos to you for, but we don't get saved by sweating our way into the kingdom. We sweat our way into the kingdom because we've been saved. You see how prepositions then become important in a believer's life. Here it is. The uncircumcised heart. One more in the book of Jeremiah. We would expect it from the the prophet Jeremiah. How many know popular church in America, the only verse of scripture that they can quote from Jeremiah is, for I am the Lord and I know the plans that I have for you, plans not to destroy, plans for your future. You see, you go into Christian books there and you see it emblazoned all. And, and then you say, are there any other scriptures in Jeremiah? Yeah, but we don't know what they are. We just, and, and we hear the cult of positivism. Yeah, we have, oh, I, I heard David Crank in a little TikTok video that's making the rounds on Facebook. He's walking on the beach in Florida. And he said, 20 years ago, I said to my wife, I spoke the word of faith. We are going to spend the rest of our life walking on white sandy beaches. <laughs> That's what it means to be a Christian? That we're going to retire here, here and build a retirement home. And you know how he did it? He flew his plane down there got in the Palm Beach community, started a church. Well, yeah, I'm hanging out with other people who are walking on white sandy beaches. God bless you, David, for walking on white sandy beaches. What the hell does that have to do with anything that the Bible teaches? Yeah, I'm I'm becoming vile, and I could become more vile. Uh, I feel like Paul in Galatians chapter 5 And verse 12, see, that drove the hornet out of the sanctuary. You know why a little cutting is good? Just go ahead and cut the whole thing off. You you see what the position that the loss of the content of the Christian faith has put our nation in. One more, let's listen. Let's listen to Jeremiah. Chapter 6, verse 10. To whom shall I speak and give the warning? This is, this is God speaking. Jerusalem is about ready to be destroyed. Where the, where the temple, where God resides. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised. They cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. Uncircumcised lips, uncircumcised hearts, uncircumcised ears. this This is a matter of the heart, brothers and sisters. I cannot examine your heart for you. That is something that only you can do. Listen to what Sight says. We, we do not attain incorporation. Remember, we saw that in this passage. It begins with 
and ends with bookends, in him. And then at the end, in him. And then in the middle, through uh, three, I think it is uh, with him. So this is the believer's privilege, is to identify fully with the circumcision of Christ. And we do that through the act of baptism. I receive the benefits that Christ has won, that he, he nailed my sins to the cross. He made an open triumph uh, against the enemy of my soul. And when I am baptized, it is a circumcision without hands. Something takes place in the waters. We heard it this morning in that beautiful song, Washed Away. We do not attain, attain incorporation by means of craft or bodily discipline. That word craft reminds me. When I was a kid and we'd go to youth camp. And the objective at youth camp was to get every child to speak in tongues. Well, they, they called it, quote-unquote, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But the objective really was you didn't have the, the quote-unquote, baptism of the Holy Ghost until you spoke in tongues. So, uh, you know, ergo sum, if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C, that meant you had to get the kids to speak in tongues. And so to get the kids to pray to come to the altar, because when I went to camp, the best part of camp was the canteen. Oh, my Lord. Grape soda. They, they just stopped making grape soda like they used to. Orange soda. Strawberry soda. Vanilla soda. Ice cream. My dad would go and drive to Albany and buy it in these five-gallon things with a big chunk of dry ice in it. And I can remember him opening the trunk and the just plume of this dry ice. The ice they're not making ice cream like they used. So when service was over, when the preacher finally shut up, sometimes you would just go to the altar and pray and mumble something so that they would put the green light up. You know, there was a red light. Red light meant no campers could leave the tabernacle. You couldn't go get your ice cream and kiss your girlfriend. Not time for that until the green light went up. So sometimes you just, by craft, you enhance compliance so that the green light would, you see a child. How is it that a child, eight, nine, 10, 11 years old, has already figured out the religious system? I'll let you circumcise me. But don't touch my lips, don't touch my ears, don't touch my heart. <laughs> and then, if you did speak in tongues, they wrote your name on the board, and every kid wanted their name written on the board. You see what the system is? Look what he says. We do not attain incorporation and full identification with Christ by means of craft, or bodily disciplining, or movement through grades of self-knowledge and divine knowledge. He's, he's tipping his hat to Gnosticism there. He says, God has crafted us. This is a circumcision without hands, what God does to us. 
Incorporation happened by God's will for us in his son, not by human hands in obedience to the command of God, but by God's own hands in his son. The problem in us was not piecemeal. And this is one of the worst admissions that you come to, but but it opens up the gateway, the venue into the liberating grace of God. I cannot fix myself one piece at a time. So somebody says, well, you know, I have an anger problem. And I understand that. I can get very angry and strike out physically. I can give a person a good tongue lashing. I can get an attitude that'll just wither. So I understand when you say I have an anger problem, but you just can't fix the anger problem. (laughs) You just can't fix... Uh, well, what's another good one that will all make us all feel guilty? You can't just fix the lust problem. A person has to come to the admission, the whole me is lost. A man drowning in the river doesn't say, I'm just going to lose my arm. I'm just going to lose my leg. The river threatens the whole person. Problem in us was not piecemeal. And it did not reside in one faculty or or another. In other words, somebody says, well, you know, the Jew would say, well, I'm going to be circumcised or I was circumcised and so I'm good with everything right now. Mm. And here we have it in the second book in the Bible already The prophets of God are saying, there's a problem with that attitude. There's a problem with that attitude. We see it. That problem followed, marched right into the opening pages of the New Testament church. We are going to require the Gentiles to be circumcised. Paul would have none of it. My problem was not amenable to religious applications, intellectual exertions, or bodily disciplines. These not only failed to produce the wanted results, they were threatened by their exposure as inadequate and rose up against God in the form of crucifixion, seeing to kill he who was God's true son and source of life and health in all fullness and comprehension. See, the comprehensive solution hung on the cross at Calvary. We're not just talking about one body part. We're not just talking about you've compartmentalized your anger or your lust. And if you could, you feel like, well, if I could get that problem solved, then my life would be good. Mm. It requires total and absolute surrender. You have to give up on yourself. I love this uh, paraphrase, William Barclay paraphrasing the apostle. What, what's the point of this? How many ever Sundays we spent on the subject of circumcision? Uh, Listen to Barclay paraphrasing Paul. You speak about circumcision. But what I'm saying, Paul, is saying the only true circumcision is when a man dies. You see that? Let him deny himself. When a man dies, your dreams, your aspirations, how you think it should be fixed, all the people that did you wrong, all the things that went wrong in your life, 
playing playing that the the blame game. We all do that. Well, you know, I wouldn't be such a bad person. My mother let me push the porridge, the oatmeal off my uh, high chair when I was a baby. No, no, no. When you when you fess up, when you die to yourself. When you say, you know what, I'm going to stop coddling myself. I'm going to stop protecting myself. I'm going to stop fabricating a story that I want other people to believe about me. This is me, warts and all. I'm a mess. The gospel requires that. You speak about circumcision. See, You just want to deal with one problem at a time. You just want to deal with one bodily part. You need a circumcision made without Christ. You need the circumcision of Christ. The only true circumcision is when a man dies and rises with Christ in baptism in such a way that it is not part of his body, which is cut away, but his whole sinful self, which is destroyed, and he is filled with newness of life and the very holiness of God. I don't know how it can be made more clear than that. Father, thank you. Hardest thing we face, Father, is to give up on ourselves. To say no to the self. Particularly when we live in Western culture where the rise of the self has been so meteoric. People asserting, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm tired of other people telling me what I need to do. I'm going to live for myself. I, 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 I. Now we see Western culture in a convulsive death strangle because we've forgotten you. We've forgotten the gospel, pure gospel, the only gospel that is able Set a person's soul at liberty. Send the Holy Spirit. Send revival. Stir us up, God. We heard it in the call to worship. Stir up one another to love and good works. Stir us, Lord, and don't stop stirring until you hear your people cry out in repentance. We ask it in Christ's name, in Jesus' name we pray.